As Christ followers, we love Jesus, don't we? We recognize what our lives would be like without Jesus. We realize what He has done for us, and we rejoice in the blessings He gives us. As Christ followers, we also love others. We recognize what their lives would be like without Jesus. We realize what He can do for others, and we rejoice in the blessings He gives others. We love others because Jesus loves us. He loves humanity with a supernatural, sacrificial sort of love, and He asks us that we love others as we love ourselves. But I'd assert that we should love others greater than we love ourselves, that it should be an other-ish sort of love, the opposite of selfish, that's God-powered, that's other-focused, and it's self-sacrificing. As a church, our purpose is to grow Christ followers. It's who we are. It's what we do. That's our thesis, right? That's our reason, our purpose for existing. It leads us to pursue an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, and it leads us to pursue growing ever-deepening relationships with others. Others is why we pray. That's what we'll talk about today in our Others sermon series. Next week, we'll talk about Others is why we serve. Two weeks from now, Others is why we share the gospel. And three weeks from now, on the 31st, Others is why we give. On our own, we're selfish. But in Christ, we are otherish. Others are why we do what we do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we start this little sermon series, thinking about others, our minds immediately go to thinking about you, that you created us, and you loved us, and you redeemed us. And you sent your son to save us in that redemption. God, you call us to give ourselves not just to you, but to others as if we're giving ourselves to you. To serve you by serving others. To pray for others. To share with others. To give to and for others. So, Father, as we open this series of sermons and as we begin today talking about why we pray about others, would you speak to us? That's our request this morning, God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Others are why we pray. And if you haven't already, open your Bible to Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 10. I'd invite you to do that. Turn to it, but we're not going to read it just yet. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 10. So this week, as I prepare my study for this sermon series that God gave me the idea for months ago, I, of course, go to my Evernote app in which I've curated all sorts of things, and I type in praying for others. And I come up with scriptures that I have 
tagged as praying for others in my own scripture reading and articles I've tagged. And there's one of them that caught my attention, and that one will be on the screen here, and that's Job 42.10. Look at what it says. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And I thought, whoa, really? Now, you know the story of Job, right? Job was a man that was blameless. Job was a man that was uh, wealthy in that day and time, and I guess in today's day and time might be considered wealthy too, and had a large family. But Satan said, I want to see if this guy Job just believes in you, God, because of the way you've blessed him, or if it's more than that. And God gave Satan permission to deal with Job. Then Job has a group of friends that come to him, and they come presumptively to help him out, to encourage him. But these counselors cannot get over the fact that they believe, based on their theology, that Job must have sinned. Nobody would have all this sort of bad stuff happen to them unless they sinned, and they must have sinned grievously, and then they were sinning more by lying about the fact that they didn't sin. And so back and forth for the entire book of Job, you have these well-reasoned poetic arguments of this, that, and the other thing of Job and his friends, and occasionally God pitches in something to say as well. And so when you get to the end of Job, chapter 42, and it says this, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to preach about praying for others. My goal for praying for others, and that'll be your next statement on your outline, is not that you know, God might do amazing things in my life because I've prayed for others that He would multiply my fortune on this earth, but my goal for praying for others, probably like yours, is that God would answer my prayers, right? It's not an I wish sort of thing, but because I love them. We have a family friend, Bailey Adcock, who is a teenager, and they don't know what's wrong with her. They just know she can't walk, and then she's in pain everywhere, and she's been all kinds of specialists in all kinds of places. Matter of fact, two weeks from uh, tomorrow, she'll be back in Mayo Clinic to try it all over again. And this has been for almost a year now. And I pray for Bailey and her family every night. And I ask God that he would do a miracle. And think about a friend like Mike Brady, who's not here because of COVID, and he's staying home, and Mike has neuropathy and can't feel his feet anymore. But he has pain all in his body, and it may be related to his military service and Agent Orange in Vietnam. You don't hear Mike complain about these things, but every day I pray for Mike. And I pray that God would heal him. So when I think about praying for others, when a scripture passage says God answered the prayers, I kind of go, hey, I need to pay attention to this scripture passage because I want God to answer my prayers for you. I want God to answer your prayers for one another. So we better pay attention. Before we read chapter 42, however, we need to go back, and I don't want you to turn there, and I don't want you to read. I want to read it for you, and I just want you to look at the screen, at the images, and do the best job you can sitting here in the sanctuary or sitting at home watching to put yourself in these places, to hear what it is that God says 
Because I'm going to take us back to chapter 38 and begin reading in verse 1 through the entirety of chapter 38. And it's basically God saying to Job, okay, buddy, it's my turn now. I'm going to talk to you out of the storm. You've been speaking words without knowledge. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about, Job's, or God says in Job 38, 2. And then basically, he says in verse 3, brace yourself. Hold on, bucko. Here it comes. So if you'll listen as I read and just watch the screen and be thoughtful and prayerful. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Verse 8. Who shut up the sea behind the door when it burst forth from the womb, when it made clouds its garments and wrapped its thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and I set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges, and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of this earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way of the abode of light? Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were born already. You may have lived so many years. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed or the place where east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts channel for the torrents of rains and paths for the thunderstorms to water the land where no man lives, a desert where no one in it, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make sprout out with grass? Does the rain have a father whose father's the drops of dew, from whose womb comes the ice, who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? 
Can you bring forth the constellations in their season or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do you report? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of the earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie wait in the thickets? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for the lack of food? God continues like that in verses chapter 39. And then in chapter 40, God says this, and that'll be on your screen. He says, The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? You see what's happening here? God is laid out through chapter 38 as I read, and you saw the images in chapter 39 as we skipped past. His greatness, His majesty, His sovereignty, and His power. And now Job comes to brokenness, humility, and even repentance. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. One more time here. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. He said that again. God says, I am God. So as we turn to chapter 42... And if you're following along, you've gone to our bulletin page on our website, and you can link there to Uversion and get the sermon notes. Or here on your screen and write them down. We've got a handful of questions to answer in reference to prayer. Because that's why we started this whole thing with Job, right? How is it that we can pray for others and be effective Well, your first question is, where does effective prayer begin? Where does effective prayer begin? If you want to know how to pray for yourself or for others, what we call intercessory prayer, you would do well to know the answer to where effective prayer begins. Let's read then in chapter 42. Chapter 42, back on your screen there, verse 1 and 2. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Job shows that he clearly understands God's speech in chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. He recognizes that God is all-powerful even over the moral sphere of how we make our decisions and choose right and wrong. 
Job opens his mouth to tell God, I get it, God. I finally get it. I really get it. In verse 2, Job agrees that since he is God, he can bring to pass. When he said there, I know, previously in the book of Job, when he said, I know, if you go back and look at every time Job used the phrase, I know, some of those times it was things that he knew that were right. Other times he may have known them, but he was wrong. Job here is confessing and admitting something that is right, that you can do all things. He's in agreement with God. Going on there. He says, you asked, who is, that, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? This is verse 3. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Job's agreeing with God again. Verse 4. You said, Job speaking to God still, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Throughout the book of Job, Job really had one request for God. And that was, God, show yourself to me. God, if I see you, I will understand these terrible circumstances I'm in. God, if I can speak directly with you, then maybe I can make sense and make it through these terrible events that have happened to me. In chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, and here in chapter 42, it's as if Job is speaking face to face with God. Job has got the answer to his prayers right in front of him. And look at verse 5. My ears had heard of you now, but now my eyes have seen you. Job has the answer to his prayer. What we see here in Job's response to God in chapter 42, verses 1 through 5, is not Job confessing any overt sins as his friend Eliphaz suggested back in chapter 2, or covert sins as his friend Eliphaz suggested back in chapter 8. So what is he confessing to? A, A bad attitude? One commentator, Robert Alden, and I appreciate this view, asserts that Job is confessing to a view of God that was too small. And God had to show up and tell Job about the way he created the universe and the images that we saw and remind Job that what I'm up to is so much bigger than you know. You're a small part of the universe and though I love you, Job, and though I'm speaking with you personally in relationship with you, Things are so much grander than you. Job needed a theophany, an appearance of God to remind him that the Creator is grander, greater, higher, wiser, mightier, stronger than any created being. He is the Creator. He is God. So when we ask that question, where does effective prayer begin? I've got a one-word answer for you. Humility. 
humility. In response to God's greatness, Job was humbled. Your next question asks, what does effective prayer require? So if we want to know where it begins, it begins with me being humble. If I want to pray for you and pray effectively for you, I need to first seek to be humble. But that humility has an effect as well. Because humility, honest-to-goodness humility, reminds me that there is a God and I'm not Him, and He is sinless and I am sinful, and it leads me to another point, and that's repentance. Note verse 6. Job says, therefore I despise myself and repent and dust and ashes. There's a lot of debate over this word translated despise myself in our English version. It's not the common Hebrew word used for repent in the Old Testament, which means to repent or turn from sins like you always hear me talk about. You know, you're walking one way, you go, oh, this is sin. And you literally turn around and walk the other way. You repent, you turn away from sin. This word translated as despise myself and repent literally has a separate meaning. It means I reject what I said. Job's not confessing sin here. It wasn't sin that led him to suffering. Remember, it was God testing him that led to suffering. He questioned God's goodness. He questioned God's justice And God chided him before in chapter 38, verse 2. I'm going to tell you, Job, since Job had truly encountered God, he's been delivered from this fantasy version of God. He knows God's greatness now, and he's responded in humility, but also in repentance. Job repents or turns around from his reckless display of distrust in God. I don't know about you, but I suffer from that sometimes too. I look at my life and I think, God, what are you doing? God, don't you love me? God, why aren't you answering my prayers? That doesn't reflect poorly on God because He's still God. Who's it reflect poorly on? Me. My view of God is too small, too limited, and I don't trust Him and have faith. To know that he's got a plan bigger than I can understand. Job was broken. Job was contrite. He was humble. He was repentant. He regretted his presumption and his foolish words. God's appearance to him changed his mind and broke his heart. What we see here is the humility of a strong man that has passed through discipline into discipleship. God purposefully allows bad things or causes bad things to happen in our lives in order to discipline us or to test us. But either way, His goal, His heart, His desire is to strengthen us and to draw us closer to Him in relationship. And that's what's happening here with Job. Effective prayer begins with humility that leads to repentance? Let's answer your third question. How does God judge people? How does God judge people? That comes from verse 7. Verse 7. Now that 
Job has got his heart and mind right before God. God quickly turns to Job's counselors, his so-called friends. And he says there, and, and the Lord had said these things. After he said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temnite. And we know the other two guys uh, related here in a minute because uh, the way that God speaks. He says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. God is saying to Eliphaz, you thought you were representing me, but you were representing mis- untruths. You were misrepresenting me. He's saying, I know the content of your heart, Eliphaz, and I know that you were judging Job. Self-righteous church folks can do that, can't we? We judge one another. We always seem how come out elevated in the judgment versus somebody else, don't we? That should tell us it's pride. Eliphaz suffered from pride even in the midst of the so-called wise counsel that he gave Job. God takes up Job's case. God defends Job's. How does God judge people? He judges their hearts and mind. When we're humble, when we're repentant, we know that God judges hearts and minds. We don't have to defend ourselves. We trust God to do it for us. And we just have faith and relax and follow God, which leads to our fourth question. Whose prayers does God accept? So we're going down this pathway, right? We see it starts with our own personal humility based on an experience with God. It leads us to brokenness and repentance. And we know that God judges our hearts, so we know we've got to be humble and broken and repentant. But whose prayers does God accept? God tells us in verse 8 and 9, So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourself. So God's speaking to Eliphaz, right? My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken what is right, as my servant Job has. Whose prayer does God accept? The one who's broken and humble and has a right relationship and right view of God. Not those who are self-righteous, and seemingly represent God and judge others, God judges the heart. God says, you've got to offer these sacrifices. That's your obedience. But Job's got to offer the prayer. That's who I'm listening to. Not everyone's prayers are answered. Only those that are humble, repentant, ones that know God, which begs the fifth question on your outline. What made the difference for Job? If God would answer Job's prayers after all this, but not the prayers of these guys that seemingly represented God, what made the difference for Job? Verse 10, it says there, that's where we started this sermon, right? After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. The difference, Job had an experience with God. Job sought God in such a way, and God, by His graciousness, revealed Himself in such a way that Job was changed, he was broken, he was humble, he was repentant. Which leads to our final question, the sixth question on your outline. According to this scripture, what should we pray for others and ourselves? 
If you're thinking back to the journey I've just taken us through in the past 20, 25 minutes, where did that journey start? Humility. Where did that journey next step? Repentance. How to pray effectively for others? Begin with your own personal humility and repentance of your sin. I know I've taken a long time, 20, 25 minutes, to get you to that point right there. But that's the very path that God took in this book that's His Word, not mine or yours. And I wanted to lead you through that very path to get you to this point. 1 Timothy 2.1 says we're to pray for all peoples. We know that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5.16 And praying for others is not only a blessing for us to do it, but it is a vital part of the Christian life. We're commanded to carry one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, And a prayer on others' behalf strengthens our bonds with that person, but also strengthens our bonds and our relationship with the Lord. But how do we prepare? We've got to be humble, repentant, broken. And we have to have a personal experience with God. The closer we walk with God, the more we know God, the more we see God in all the details of life, the better we know Him, and the better He's going to hear us because the more humble we'll be before Him, which leads us to our Scripture memory verse of the month to conclude our sermon today. And it's all about others, and it's 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Let's read it together. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Let's pray. God, our Father, we took this journey with Job this morning. We saw images of your creation all around the world in hopes that we would be brought to a personal experience with You. In hopes that we might be humbled and then repentant before You. In order that when we come to You and pray, our prayers will be powerful and effective. Because we're righteous. Because we've asked Your forgiveness. So God, our Father, there may be some in the sound of my voice this morning that need to confess their unbelief in You. They are believers in Jesus and they've trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, but there are certain prayers they're not praying because they don't think You can answer or they don't think You care. God, there may be some among us here that need to confess our pride, those judgmental, legalistic tendencies that we have that make us act like we're better than others, but keep you from hearing our prayers because we're not humble and broken, repentant before you. God, would we repent today? And God, there may be some here today that have never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. And the step of humility and repentance they need to take is to accept Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, confessing Him that way, repenting and turning from their life of sin. Would they do that today? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.